Well, good morning, guys. So it's good to be here this morning. What a beautiful day it is, and I'm excited um, we get to start a brand new sermon series this morning called Revive Us. And so if I can pull my notes up, um, we'll get started. But it's um, last week we had a great Easter service. Um, I hope you, uh, if you weren't here, if you were traveling, go back and watch it. Um, talking about Peter's story is just so powerful. Uh, and today uh, we get to launch into a completely new series about spiritual awakening and renewal. So when I say the word revival, what do you guys think about? I think for, for everybody, we kind of have our own picture of what revival is or what it means. For many people, especially in our culture, we mention the word revival. And I think the picture is like um, some big tent and some preacher up doing that kind of a hellfire and damnation type sermon and trying to uh, get people saved. And uh, some people think that. Some people go like, uh, did any of y'all see the movie that came out like 30 years ago, Steve Martin, Leap of Faith? Um, did anybody see that? Some of y'all may remember that. Uh, Steve Martin's like this traveling evangelist that goes around. It's kind of funny, kind of sacrilegious, so I don't know if I would recommend it. But uh, he's a con man, right? He's trying to swindle everybody out of their money and trying to put on a show. And um, it, it's, it's like one of those movies that that kind of influences what culture thinks about the church. When they see a movie like that, they think, well, that's what church is. It's just a bunch of hypocrites trying to get money from people. And so some people, when you say revival, think of that about that. Um, and for some, you think about the planned meetings at church that you have every year, right? That there's a revival meeting. We've got to have a revival at least once a year, sometimes twice a year. And it's just a time we're going to try to get people saved. That's kind of, so when we talk about revival, um, everybody's got a, a little bit different idea of what it is and what it looks like. So for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about this whole idea of how we can be revived, how we can be brought back to life. Um, the word revival, it isn't found in the Bible, but there are accounts of God pouring out His Spirit upon His people. Uh, there's times of spiritual reform. There's times where the church just really awakens to its purpose, and you see life change happen. And so we're going to be talking about that. Um, it seems like lately a lot of people have been talking about revival because of what was happening in Kentucky at Asbury uh, University. Have y'all heard about that a little bit? It's kind of a neat story. Um, um, we've, got some, we've got some Asbury people here, like Asbury graduates here. Jack went to Asbury. So, um, you know, you think about Asbury and what happened there. Uh, it, it's amazing because it was just some students were praying and they stayed late after a chapel service. It was back in February. Um, and they just they didn't leave after the church service was over. They just kept, at ch kept staying at chapel. And a few other people started singing and praying with them. Then the other students joined in. And the next thing you know, this thing is going nonstop for two straight weeks. Uh, it ended up, they said, over 50,000 students and visitors had come to the campus to pray um, students from more than 260 different colleges and university came. Um, it was very simple. There was nothing produced. There was nothing manufactured. In fact, they had kind of some well-known celebrity pastors and worship leaders who wanted to come that they said, don't come. We don't want you here. This is kind of student-led. This, uh, this is just God at work. And so um, it's really interesting to see um, but then on the flip side, you had all these people saying, well, was that a revival? And the school said, well, we'll just call it an outpouring. We don't, 
Oh, you know, you had all this and there's all this like, what is this and how do we explain it and, and what is revival and what does revival mean and churches are praying for revival. So it's something we need to talk about, something we need to kind of dig deep in and say, okay, uh, if we want to see revival happen, because I think as a believer, I would hope you say, would say, I want to see things change. I'm not satisfied with the way things are in our church. I'm not satisfied with the way things are in our community. I'm not satisfied with the way things are in our country. We need a change. We need to get back to God. We need to see God lifted up. We need to see people of God serious about following Jesus. And if that's you, then this series is going to be uh, talking about that. So um, let's talk about what revival is not. I think sometimes it's kind of good to talk about what revival is not before we jump into what it is. Um, and so I already said some of the ideas, like a lot of people think it's that con man going around trying to, to swindle people. Uh, it's not that. It's not a circus, right? It's not this huge emotional experience that's all about what you see. And, and it's, there's something deeper than that. Um, it's not a tourist attraction, right? It, it's not planned or scheduled. And, and I mentioned, like, I, I know a lot of churches have revival services, especially around here. And I'm not knocking them because I've seen some amazing services and been in a lot of those services over the years. Um, but you really can't plan or schedule or pencil in a revival. It's supernatural. It's not something that you're going to say, hey, we're going to have a revival two weeks from now and we want you to show up and be part of it. That's just not how it works. Now, you can prepare for revival. You can prepare for it, right? And that's what we're doing when we have meetings like that. We're preparing ourselves. We're, we're learning about revival. But that's not really revival. So what are some basic definitions? I'll share a few, and then I'll give you the one that I wrote out. So um, I'll share. Uh, some of these are kind of wordy, and you see why I wrote one. Um, here's one, uh, uh, one definition I found. It says, an evangelical revival is an extraordinary work of God in which Christians repent of their sins as they become intensely aware of His presence in their midst. And they manifest a positive response to God in renewed obedience to the known will of God, resulting in both a deepening of their individual and corporate experience with God and an increased concern to win others to Christ. You remember that one? Don't you love definitions sometimes? Uh, this one's a little bit better. Robert Coleman says, The awakening or quickening of God's people to their true nature and purpose. I like that one. Uh, Stephen Olford said, The sovereign act of God in which he restores his own backsliding people to repentance, faith, and obedience. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, We can define it as a period of unusual blessing and activity in the life of the Christian church. The famed evangelist Charles Finney said, The return of the church from her backslidings and the conversion of sinners. Richard Owen Roberts said, The extraordinary movement of the Holy Spirit producing extraordinary results. And here is my definition. Um, and we'll put it up on the screen. Revival occurs when the Holy Spirit breaks through to a group of people and leads them to repentance, to prayer, to the Bible, and to service so that their world is transformed by the gospel. I think this kind of gets us on track to where we're going to be going these next few weeks as we study revival. It's not something that we manufacture. It's something that the Holy Spirit does in and through us. It's when we understand that we need to repent from our sins. 
It's when we understand we need to spend time with God. It's when we understand we need to get in the Word, when we need to to get out of the church and serve the world around us and, and transform not just this church, not just ourselves, but transform everything that we touch and see with the power of the gospel. And there have been some great revivals in history. I love studying revivals. I don't know if you've ever, this may be like a completely new topic for you. It may be something you've never really thought about or studied or heard about. Uh, but there's some great revivals that have happened in history. I'll just mention a few. One was the Great Awakening. Have you heard of that? The Great Awakening. Happened in 1734 to 1743. Uh, a guy named Jonathan Edwards. Have you heard of him? Sinners in the hands of an angry God. A Puritan pastor up in the Northeast. Um, and he was interesting because when he preached, um, he was not a dynamic preacher. He, he just read from his manuscript, word by word, monotone, the most boring person they, they said you could ever listen to. But when he preached that sermon, Sinners in the Hands of Anger God, it just like people just like fell out, it just crying and shame over their sin and started confessing their sin. Revival broke out and uh, it said that 300 people were, uh, were saved in, in six months in a town of only 1,100 people. The news started spreading, similar, similar revivals started spreading throughout the region, region. Uh, in Philadelphia in 1739, uh, you, you had this kind of, uh, George Whitfield started preaching, if you've ever studied history, George Whitfield was kind of the, uh, he was kind of Billy Graham in the 1700s. Uh, he would hold these huge open-air meetings, loud voice, preach. I mean, hundreds and thousands of people were saved. Uh, John Wesley started working about the same time. And, and, and so we see this whole, uh, it's amazing what happened. An estimated 80% of the America's 900,000 colonists personally heard Whitfield preach. Think about that. 80% of the people in this country heard one guy preach. It's amazing, right? Uh, And and so that was the the Great Awakening. There was a second Great Awakening that happened a few years later in 1800. Um, At that time, only about one out of 15 people in America's population belonged to a church. And so they started having some camp meetings out in Kentucky, uh, outside. And the revival started drawing people from all over um, Charles Finney began preaching, and he would eventually see over 500,000 people come to Christ through his meetings. Uh, 100,000 people were saved in Rochester, New York in 1831 alone. And this is like, I mean, you hear these numbers and you're like, how, how many? Uh, 100,000 people in one city? This is what revival looks like. When God gets hold of uh, not just a church, but a group of people and and so it's amazing, you know, you went from 1 out of 15 people uh, being saved um, and to then uh, to about 13% of the population being saved in just a few years. Um, and you see, saw this huge explosion. There was a Welsh revival in 1904. It saw 100,000 people saved. And uh, there was a preacher, a 26-year-old preacher named Evan Roberts. He prayed for revival for 11 years. Um, so many were converted, so many uh, saw life change that the, na- the nation of Wales became known at, at, at that time as the land of revival. You see a lot of people travel there and learn there and grow there. Uh, it's just, there's all these revivals throughout history, and these are just a few. There's a whole lot more you can study. 
And, and you see some characteristics. You see some things that happen. And I think we can learn from that. The word revive, it occurs 30 times in the English Bible. And all these, all these times, the Hebrew and the Greek word means to live or to live again or to come to life. And so when we talk about revival, that's what we're talking about. Really living. It's coming alive for Jesus. It's this whole idea of spiritual awakening, spiritual renewal. Um, and so if that's the case, if we have churches praying for revival, if we're studying revivals, why are so many churches on life support today? Why, why are so many churches on life support? Why are so many people claim to be Christians but don't live like it? Why do we live in a country where it seems like more and more the Christian viewpoint, the Christian way of life is kind of relegated to an afterthought? You see, this is important. We, we need to understand it. So each week of this sermon series, we're going to be looking at a different way. We can really come back to life. And, and today we're going to be talking about getting back in His Word. So my first point this morning is our society. We live in a society that doesn't understand, it doesn't read the Bible. Would you guys agree with that? It, it's, it's amazing um, how many people are biblically illiterate. They're just illiterate. They don't know what the Bible says, and they really don't care what the Bible says. And what they think the Bible says, it really doesn't say. We're, we're masters at misquoting and misapplying the Bible to make it fit what we want to believe. That's our world today. Uh, we're going to be talking uh, this morning about an Old Testament story, the story of King Josiah. Um, and, and to give, you've got to get you a little background on his story. We've got to go back a few hundred years before Josiah to understand what he was living in, because I think we can see some parallels from their time to ours. Uh, after the death of Solomon, um, we saw the kingdom of or the nation of Israel divided into two kingdoms: the northern kingdom or Israel, uh, the ten northern tribes, and the two southern tribes that ended up being named Judah. So you had Judah and Israel. On much of the Old Testament, you read kind of this story of those two uh, separate kingdoms in conflict. Um, by the time um, Josiah came to, to the throne, and he was the, th the king of the southern kingdom, Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel did not exist. They had already been captured, conquered, and taken away in captivity, captivity to Assyria. Um, and so they, they had rebelled against God. They were judged for it. They were conquered, taken away, you would think that the southern kingdom would learn from this, that they needed to get their act together. You, you would think it would be a wake-up call, but that's not what happened. Um, in the eight decades that followed the fall of the northern kingdom, Judah just went farther and farther into sin. Um, you had prophets like Micah and Zephaniah, uh, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, all that took place during this time. And each of them were warning, there's going to be judgment coming if you don't turn back to God. Um, but, but everything they said, people just ignored it, kept on living apart from God. And so that's kind of when, that kind of sets the stage for, Ju for Josiah coming to be the new king. Uh, in 2 Chronicles 34, we kind of have an overview of this, and it kind of shows how he inherits a mess. When he comes to the throne. So 2 Chronicles 34, the Old Testament. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. 
Now, first, let's just stop there and think about that. Eight years old, okay? Think about being eight years old. You're coming into a position of leadership, and the kingdom is a complete and utter mess. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, and he followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. In other words, he was a good kid. He had a good heart. He wanted to please God. He wanted to do what he was supposed to do. And it says here, during the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor David. Then in the twelfth year, he began to purify Judah and Jerusalem, destroying all the pagan shrines, the Asherah poles, the carved idols, the cast images. He ordered that the altars of Baal be demolished and that the incense altars which stood above them be broken down. He also made sure that the Asherah poles, the carved idols, and the cast images were smashed and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the pagan priests on their own altars and he purified Judah and Jerusalem. He did the same things in the town of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon, even as far as Naphtali and the regions all around them. He destroyed the pagan altars and the Asherah poles, and he crushed the idols into dust. He cut down all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel, and finally he returned to Jerusalem. Now, if you ever have read through the... uh, the early books of the Bible through uh, Exodus and then Deuteronomy and Numbers and Leviticus. And you see all those uh, rules and regulations and you see this covenant promise God made his people. If you obey my commands, I will bless you. Uh, if you stay connected to me, I will be your God. You will be my people. And, and he's making these promises to them. But we also see what happens time and time again. As you get to Judges, you see how time after time the people turn away. uh, They're judged and then they'll have someone rise up and kind of bring the country back to God. That's what Josiah is doing here. He's bringing them back to God. If you look um, in uh, our culture today, I think we experience a lot of the same problems. People really don't honor God with their lives anymore. There's 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 a remnant that does. But there's a lot of people that don't. They don't take God's word seriously. They don't understand sin. They don't understand the consequences of sin. They don't care about sexual immorality. Uh, they don't care about pornography. Uh, they don't care about materialism and greed. And those things have a hold on so many people in our, in our country today. As we look at this story, I, I think King Josiah must have felt very similar to how we feel sometimes today felt the overwhelming burden for people who were far from God. And so you look at his family. Um, his grandfather Manasseh had been one of the most wicked kings in Judah's history um, that just led the country into worse sin than the Canaanites that they had conquered even centuries before. And uh, Josiah's father was the wicked Ammon, and he reigned only two years before he was assassinated. Uh, He had reestablished all these pagan practices, and it's in the middle of that that his son, Josiah, takes over. And so at age 16, it said that he began to seek the Lord. Let's read a little more about that. Let's go over to 2 Kings, and you see some parallel accounts here in Chronicles and Kings. Let's look at 2 Kings. It says um, this is about what he discovered as he was seeking the Lord. When the king heard what was written in the book of the law... He tore his clothes in despair. 
Then he gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam son of Shaphan, and Akbor the son of Machiah, and Shaphan the, the court secretary, and Asaiah the king's personal advisor. Go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me and the people in all of Judah. Inquire about the words written in this scroll that has been found. For the Lord's great anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in this scroll. We've not been doing everything that says we must do. So the people in his country, they would claim that they were followers of God. They would claim that they knew the, the God of Israel, but they weren't living like it. And it's interesting that it had gotten so bad that they had even lost the word of God. They were kind of doing, uh, going through the temple and going through different things. And it's like in an old discarded box in the corner, they opened it up. They found a scroll. They opened it up. They read what was on the scroll. Probably the book of Deuteronomy, what we think when they opened up, they read it. And it's like it just hit them. All this stuff it says we're supposed to be doing, we're not doing all this stuff that, that, that God commanded us to do, it's gotten so bad, we've even forgot, we didn't even know where God's word was. So what does he do? He goes and gets a priest and says, you've got to read this too. This is your job. You don't even know it exists. Right? And so uh, these people claim to follow God, but everything in their life was against God. And, 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 in, and in Josiah's day, just like ours today, right, there was this widespread lack of understanding of God's Word. And when we read that the copy of the law was discovered, we get the impression that King Josiah had never read this or didn't even know about it as well. And so what did they find and what did they do? It changed everything. But the first thing they did, they read it. And can I just say, if we want to be revived, if we want to be brought back to life, if you're not reading God's Word, if you're not letting it speak into your life, then how can you expect to know what God commands? How can you expect to live for God if you don't know God? If, how can you expect to live for Him if you've never read His Word? The problem in our world today, and I'll just say this, and for our young people too, their understanding of the Bible comes more from social media than it does from God's Word. And just because someone says, well, this is what the Bible says, it doesn't mean it's true. Just because I'm up here and telling you what it says doesn't mean it's true. Right? I want you to be able to understand for yourself. You don't need me to tell you what the Bible says. I'm doing my job if I encourage you to get in the Word and understand it and read it for yourself. Now, I'll kind of point you and kind of guide you and get you going but I can't understand it for you. I had, I had a roommate in, uh, in college, and um, he grew up Catholic, very devout Catholic. And every time we had a discussion about Scripture, um, he would say, I don't know, let me go ask my priest what that means. And I'm like, you can under you're a smart dude, you can understand it. He's like, no, i, I got to ask him. And, and so we never could really make any headway in our discussions about spiritual things because he felt like, I, could, I can't understand this for myself. Can I just tell you, the Bible was written by ordinary people for ordinary people. It was written for you. You can understand it. You can read it. And that brings me to my next point. If we want to see our lives and our churches revived, we must return to God's Word. 
We've got to, this, this is essential. This is like the first building block. We've got to get into God's word. The entire revival experienced by Israel during the, king, during the reign of King Josiah, it began when they got in God's word. It began when they read it. Let's read what happened to them. If we keep going in 2 Kings 23 now, it said this. It says, King Josiah then issued this order to all the people. You must celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as required in the book of the covenant. There had not been a Passover celebration like that since the time when the judges ruled in Israel, nor throughout all the years of the kings of Israel and Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah's reign, this Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. Josiah also got rid of the mediums and psychics, the household gods, the idols, and every kind of detestable practice both in Jerusalem and throughout the land of Judah. He did this in obedience to the laws written in the scroll that Hilkiah the priest had found in the Lord's temple. Never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and soul and strength, obeying the laws of Moses, and there's never been a king like him since. If you want to see revival happen, then don't just read the Bible. You do what it says. And I know that sounds so simple. I know that sounds like, well, Mike, I mean, that, that's kind of obvious. If we read it and we do what it says, but we don't do it. We don't do it. We, we, we read the Bible and we think, oh, that's a good story. That's a, a good illustration. I wish someone else would hear that. I wish my neighbor would hear that. I wish my, my brother would hear that. I wish my classmate would hear that. That applies to them, but we, we read it. We don't read it to, to, for it to take effect in our own life. So what did Josiah do? He read it. He immediately started making changes. As soon as he read it, he's like, okay, we're not doing this, so let's, re- let's change everything. Let's get our lives in line with what God says. Do you realize what would happen? Is if, if every Sunday you came to church, and when you heard the word, you would say, okay, my life, I've got, to, I've got to change it. I've got to reorient my life around God's Word. Do you realize what would happen every morning as you read God's Word? If you read it and you said, I'm not really doing that. I need to change my life. I need to reorient. I need to change directions. I need to start doing what it says. I'm afraid that when we read the Bible today, we just don't take it seriously enough. Um, when God talks about sin, we just brush it off. We don't really think about sin. We don't think about the consequences of sin. We do what we want to do, when we want to do it. We think we can sin. We think we can avoid consequences. But Josiah realized that you have to make drastic changes in your life if you want to follow God. You can't stay where you are and go with God. And so what did he do? He restarted the Passover feast. He got rid of all the idols. He was serious about it. Now, it was interesting to me. I saw a study that was done by the American Bible Society. It's done in 2000, uh, or 2022, so right in the middle of COVID or kind of coming off the tail end of it there. And I would have thought, now if you would have asked me, during COVID, did people's Bible reading go up or down? To me, I'm like, we had nothing else to do. You weren't going anywhere. Everything was shut down. I would think, I mean, logically, it would make sense, man, People should be reading their Bible more. They're at home. You know, they can't go to the movies. They can't go all the... What happened? Do you know that Bible reading drastically declined during COVID? 
I was really shocked by that. Um, it says here, a 2022 survey by American Bible Society sought to determine the number of active Bible users. Um, and let me just say, their survey was like, we want to find out how many people are active Bible users. And how they defined active Bible users were, were people that used their Bible at least three to four times per year. You want to know how bad it is? When the American Bible Society says you're an active Bible user if you pick up your Bible three times a year. That's from 2021 to 2022, the number of active Bible users dropped from 50% to 39%. That equals 25 million America, Americans who no longer are even opening the Bible four times a year. I don't know. I'm just blown away by that. I mean, again, you, you would think, I mean, during COVID, it's like, oh, man, let, let's, let's, let's read. Let's do something. People are turning more and more away from the Bible. And I think the problem is they're, it, it's, they're turning from the Bible to other things in this world. We don't, may not have all the psychics and mediums and idols and carved images, but we do have social media. We do have TikTok and Instagram and Facebook, and we do have all this stuff. We do have podcasts, and we've got all these self-proclaimed experts that are telling us what to do, and we pay more attention to them than we do to the God who created us. That should be scary to us. And so I want you to notice something about King Josiah. He was not from a godly home. He didn't have a good example. He was young. Right? Everything about him would, would show that he had every reason to not do what was right. He could have blamed it on his upbringing. He could have blamed it on his age. But what he did, he stood against culture. And he did what was right. And so he wasn't concerned about what everyone else told him to do or was encouraging him to do. He just said, I'm going to follow God and I'm going to follow his word. We need to be like that. We've got to be strong enough to say, I don't care what everyone else is doing. I'm going to do what is right. And if we can do that, that's when revival really starts. I think we take for granted today how accessible the Bible is. Think about it. They didn't have a single copy of it. So when they found that scroll, they read it. They treasured it. They started obeying it. They started living by it. If I were to ask you how many Bibles you have in your home... I think it's embarrassing for us to even say how many different Bibles we have. Because we have them on different versions and different... You know, and, and, and not only that, we have the Bible on our phone everywhere we go. You have no excuse about saying, I don't have access to the Bible. But the bigger question is not just that we have access to it. But are we reading it and allowing it to change us? Are we obeying what it says? We've got to read the Word. We can't obey it if we don't know what it says. And we don't just read our favorite sections that we know. We must read all of it. We must read all of it. And, and so that kind of brings me to, to, to my, my next point. Revival, it starts with us. It really does. It starts with us. Let's read what happens 2 uh, Chronicles kind of has a summary uh, of what happens here. 
then the king summoned all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and the, the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah and Jerusalem, along with the priests and the Levites, all the people from the greatest to the least. There the king read to them the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. The king took his place of authority beside the pillar and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all of his commands, his laws, his decrees with all of his heart and soul. He promised to obey all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll. And he required everyone in Jerusalem and the people of Benjamin to make a similar pledge. The people of Jerusalem did so, renewing their covenant with God, the God of their ancestors. So Josiah removed all the detestable idols from the entire land of Israel, required everyone to worship the Lord their God, and throughout the rest of his lifetime they did not turn away from the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Now if you study their history, we know that it was kind of short-lived. After Josiah was gone, what did they do? They went right back to their old wicked ways. But for, for Josiah, he saved a generation. He made an impact for an entire generation of people. And what did he do? They got rid of idols. I think we need to do some, some of that in our lives. We need to get rid of some idols. What is it that you need to get rid of that's keeping you from God's Word, that's keeping you from obeying God's Word? What is it that's pulling us away from listening to God? Whatever it is, we need to get rid of it. We need to cast out those idols, just like they did here. How do we get back to this? Right? We quit making excuses, and we start making changes. Can I just... If we would just stop making excuses for our behavior and we would start making changes to get closer to God, you'll see revival in your own life. In your own life. It really starts with you. You can't, you can't make anyone else change, but you can change your life. You can get your life back on track. And no matter what you've done or where you're at, you can say, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be serious about this. I want, to, I want to love you with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I want to be like King Josiah and do what is right and not listen to the world around me. Josiah's obedience, it changed the lives of every single person around him. And can I just tell you, your life, it can be the same way. If you get serious about following God, it will change everybody around you. And, and the same thing is true in the inverse way, right, too. If we don't follow God, it influences everyone around us. It impacts every single person we're connected to. Your sin makes an impact. It hurts the people around you. The other people have to pick up and, and take care of your irresponsibility when you sin. So we've got to realize that. So... Uh, if we want revival for our country, it, it has to start with revival for each and every one of us. If we want revival for our church, it's got to start with us. So what are we going to do? Um, I mentioned that a lot of churches have revival meetings. Uh, we're going to have some meetings. And I'm just going to tell you, there's not going to be fancy. They're not going to be produced. Um, starting this Wednesday night, we're going to open up the church, 7 to 8 o'clock. And this week, we're going to be in His Word. That's all we're going to do. Um, we're just going to study His Word, read His Word, nothing else. And I'm, I'm just going to challenge you. How many of you will be obedient enough to, to, to be serious enough? How many of you want to see change in your life and in this community to be here? Next week, we're going to do it again, and we're going to spend a night in prayer. The third week, we're going to do it, and we're going to have a, a baptism um, and celebrate new life in Christ and celebrate repentance. The next week, we're going to do it and worship. 
So for the next four weeks on Wednesday nights, we're just going to meet and see what happens. Um, we're going to meet and, and get serious about following God. And so I want to invite you right now to do that. I, I want to invite you to be part of that. Um, for our baptism service, I, if you may have saw on Facebook, I posted a, on Connect at Cornerstone this week. Um, we want to buy a nicer portable baptistry. So we're actually asking for some donations to help us with that because they're not cheap. Um, but we want to get one that we can do baptisms more often um, on Sunday morning, on Wednesdays, whenever, uh, that we can set up and do, use as part of our church. So if that's something you want to give to, you can give to it online. You can just write baptistry on your uh, envelope. But we, we want to have a nicer, we've got a, we call it our holy hot tub now. And it works okay for kids. But it really doesn't work for adults. So we're going to upgrade our holy hot tub, okay? Um, but we're going to start this Wednesday night just opening the Word. And so 7 o'clock Wednesday night, you're invited here. Okay? Can we do it? Can we get serious about not just reading His Word, but doing what it says? For every believer, if we would do that, um, it's amazing what would happen. And, I, and I'm just going to tell you, these Wednesday night meetings, I'm not going to promote a lot. I'm not going to talk about them a lot. We're not gonna, we're not gonna, it's not hype. This is just us and God together. So I just want to challenge us. We can learn from King Josiah how to get serious about God's Word. Um, but will we do it? You have access to the Word. You have opportunity to read the Word. You have every, uh, everything available to study His Word and apply it to your life. The real question is, are we serious enough about spiritual awakening and renewal that we're going to do it? Um, that's a decision that each and every one of us has got to make. I'm going to pray that the worship team is going to come back up. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful that we can continue to, to just dive deep into it and allow it to, to change us and challenge us. And I, my prayer is that as we read your word, that we wouldn't just read it for knowledge or information, that we would read it for transformation, that we would allow it to saturate our lives in such a way that that when we leave here, that we're so excited to follow you and do your will that it, we just can't contain ourselves. Lord, I, I pray that we read it and we see how our lives need to be shaped and conformed to the image of Christ in each and every aspect of our life. And, and so my prayer, Lord, is that we wouldn't care what the world thinks, what the world says, but we would stand up and say, I'm going to follow you. And so if you're here this morning, maybe there's something in your life that you need to just start with just repentance right here, right now. Um, that's part of what we're going to be talking about revivals is repentance. It starts with confessing our sin. It's kind of what the nation of Israel did to, in the story we read today. They started by repenting from their sin, turning away from all the idols that they were chasing and turning to God. We need to do that in our own life. So if you're here this morning, there's something you need to repent from. This is your time right now just to confess it to God. God, I need to repent. And repentance is more than feeling sorry about it. Repentance is truly turning away from it and turning back to God. I'm going to give you just a second to talk with God right now to do that. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will give us a burden. Give us a, a holy burden to, to follow you. 
to turn from our sin and to chase after you. And if you're here this morning and you don't know this Jesus we're talking about, this is your opportunity to, to trust him. He died for you. He's asking you to put your faith and trust in him and in him alone to save you. And you may not even realize that you need saving. But the truth is our sin has separated us from a holy God. And the only way we can be made right with God, the only way we can be with Him for eternity is through our faith and trust in Jesus. And so if that's you today, whether online or here today, my prayer is that you would just trust Jesus. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You would believe in your heart, God, you raised Jesus from the dead just for me. If you believe that, He will save you. He will change you. You will be born again. Heavenly Father, we just... We celebrate today your word, and may we be your people who are committed to reading and learning and growing from your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.